Well, good morning. My name is Tim Rogers, lead pastor at Grace Point. Glad to have you here. This is our Mother's Day gift to you. No one got that, did they? <laughs> Thank you. Hey, um, welcome to GPC. We're glad to have you. Before I get started with this morning's message, I wanted to share with you quickly about uh, Together 2013. Brief, brief update this morning. Uh, for those who don't know, Together uh, 13 is our shared initiative with um, GPC, Keystone Church, the Factory, Paradise Township, and Peckway Valley School District to work together for the common good in this community, um, kind of from here until um, who knows when. But we're uh, focused on initiatives in the summertime, and I want to let you know that the Together 2013 formally starts rolling this Saturday. We're having our first road cleanup event at Paradise Park, and I believe that starts at 8 a.m. on Saturday morning. So one of the things that we're doing for Together 2013 is we're cleaning all the roads in Paradise Township with Keystone Church and others. Uh, so if you are able to do that, that's a good family event. Um, our kids did that last year with us as a family. Our small group, I think, participated in that, and we had, a, we had a good time. So if that's something you're interested in doing, it's fairly easy to get involved. Just sign up in the Welcome Center on the back on your way out um, or online. You can find us, and I'll give you that address in a minute. But that's happening. That's rolling out this Saturday. Ben Wanger um, from GPC is kind of running point on that. Okay. I also want to tell you, because, because the weather is nice, right, that you're already in training for, ta-da, the run, ride, walk, right? You're right? <laughs> right. Right. Excellent. The run, ride, walk is our main fundraising arm of Together 2013. So um, as you are able to spread the word and even get involved yourself, we'd be glad to have you involved in running, riding, or walking to support um, the initiatives that we're doing together of 2013. Uh, you can get more information and sign up on the Welcome Center in the back on your way out. There's a brochure there, and you can sign, you can tear off that um, registration piece and, and send that in. Okay, that's that. You can also get more information about 2013 here, our website, togetherforthegood.com, or facebook.com backslash togetherforthegood. Wanted to let you know, I was in a poverty task force meeting this week. Um, one or two of you were there with me. And uh, Dr. Orndorff, superintendent at Peckway Valley, said, um, he said, you know, this is after we presented together 2013 to this group, uh, he said, uh, you know, I just want to say, he just kind of impromptu, I just want to say that last year we were looking to cancel summer school because we just didn't have resources or momentum behind it. Um, but he said, when we came together to do this, not only did we not cancel it, but it's better than it's ever been. He said, so this partnership has been great for the school and great for us and what we're doing. So I just want to share that with you kind of vicariously that this kind of thing is having an impact in the leaders and the influencers in our community. So we're, we're I'm glad to be a part of that um, process. So thank you. All right. Good enough. That's Together 2013. And if you want to do the road cleanup, man, let's, let's do it on Saturday morning. Well, hey, it's Mother's Day, right? And uh, as I think about Mother's Day, uh, you know, some of our thoughts were already communicated here via video and all that. But one of the things that's interesting about moms is that one of the jobs that moms has is to, to kind of create within kids a self-awareness, Right? To create an awareness within themselves that, um, you know, there's certain times you pick your nose and certain times you don't. And it's good that most of us have learned when that time is not to do that, right? There's certain times, right, self-awareness, self-awareness. There's certain times when it's okay to yell for help when you're on the potty. Other times that you don't yell for that kind of help when you're on the potty, right? And you kind of learn, you can become more self-aware. Can you imagine how awkward that would be at dinner time when you had company? You never learned that. There's certain times as you get older, you learn, I have to wear deodorant. I'm starting to stink. And mom gives you kind of that little nudge 
toward self-awareness, and I'm becoming aware of who I am and how I'm developing and growing as a human being. And moms tend to have that, not that dads don't, right, not that other people don't, um, but moms tend to have uh, that opportunity more so than anyone else to kind of change the world one child at a time and to really be an incredible shaper and influencer of our society and of our world. And in that, a big piece of that is helping us grow into self-aware individuals, aware of my surroundings and aware of um, my God, aware of the times when I don't know what to do with this stress or this anxiety, and now, oh, now that mom told me, I need to actually pray about that. And my mom told me that I need to do that, or I need to memorize a piece of scripture on that, and mom influenced me to tell me that, and I'm becoming aware of how I respond. And so one of the great things that mom does, kind of at a 30,000-foot level, among all other things, is help us become aware of how do we function, how do we operate within the society. Because the truth is, you may have heard the statement, what you don't know can't hurt you, right? But that is completely false, right? What you don't know can hurt you. Because can you imagine if no one ever taught you about deodorant? Yeah, three of you can imagine that. Can you imagine if no one ever taught you about personal hygiene, ever, can you imagine if no one ever taught you about how in the world do I handle this stress? How in the world do I handle my God? What do, what do I do? What do I do? See, moms kind of create that. What you, what you don't know can hurt you. And moms kind of give us that. Here's one to stop and one to start. Slow down, speed up, eat, don't eat, settle, kind of time to play, time to go to bed, time to get up. And it kind of creates for you environments for when you, when you can function and when you, what you otherwise would not know to do. This morning... As we get into this, continue to get into this series called Just Did It, we're going to see a group of people that essentially the writer, Paul, is trying to draw a similar parallel in their lives, trying to say, there's something within you that you're not aware of, and I want you to become more aware of it. It's almost like you stink and you have BO, but no one ever told you you need to wear deodorant, and I'm here to tell you, you need to do that. You need to be aware of something that's ugly about you that no one ever told you about. And at a different level, this is what Paul is doing to the church in Rome at this time. We're in this series, for those of you who are just visiting or just joining us this morning, um, called Just Did It. And we did rip off the Nike slogan, just do it and change that on purpose because just do it is what our society says. Just go, 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 go. Try to make peace with God in the world. You can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And we're saying, no, you can't just do it. You can't just kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make yourself pleasing to God and make yourself at peace with the world. It doesn't happen. You don't have resources. You don't have enough consistency to do that. It's impossible. So our role is to place our faith in Christ who already did accomplish what we are always trying to accomplish, and that is peace with God righteousness, as we call it. So Just Did It is this series on Romans that we're in. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there to Romans chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, not a problem, there's one near you in the pew around you. Romans chapter 2, verses 17 to 29 will be our passage this morning. Uh, If you're just getting into the Bible and trying to figure out where Romans is, it's in the part of the Bible called the New Testament. There's two big parts of the Bible, the Old and the New Testament. The New Testament is in the the right third of your Bible, and you'll go through five books or letters 
until you get to the book of Romans. You'll go through the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you'll go through the book of Acts, which is kind of the story of the early church, and then you'll get into Romans. So Romans is the sixth book in the New Testament, and Romans chapter 2 is where we are. Uh, Paul has written this book to the church in Rome, uh, now Rome, Italy, and at the time, the Romans, um, the, the Gentiles, that is the non-Jews, were struggling with the Jews as to how to work together in the church. And for those who know the background there briefly, the Jews had leadership in the church for a long time. They got kicked out by the emperor, essentially, Claudius, um, kicked them, removed them from the area. Therefore, in a vacuum of leadership, Gentile leadership took over the church. Claudius died, the Jews come back in, and they're like, hey... What do we do now? We used to lead now. You're leading who? Who do we? How do we? What do we? And to that context, Paul is writing the book of Romans. So now he's speaking in Romans chapter 2, specifically to Jews, to law-abiding Jewish citizens, if you will. And I'm just going to read through the text to begin, and then we'll come back and make some comments on it and try to observe what Paul is saying here, okay? Verse 17. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew... If you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you're convinced you're a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. Got it? Good. If you could take, at a a 30,000-foot level, if you could take your preliminary observations about this passage and you were track, able to track along with the flow of thought and maybe got a little hung up on the circumcision part and what does that mean and what are you really saying and all that, but then you kind of came back into it at the end where he says, yeah, he who is a Jew is not one who is outward but inward. That makes sense. And circumcision of the heart, that makes sense. If you could take at a 30,000-foot level what you just heard and read and apply a word or a theme to it, you might say that this is a passage about um, hypocrisy. Right? I mean, you who steal... You who teach about stealing, do you not steal? And you who abhor, abhor idols, do you not rob temples? And those who teach, do you not teach yourselves? A Jew is not one outwardly, but one inwardly. And you, you look at that and you say, okay, at a, at a 30,000 foot level, this is about hypocrisy. Right? I mean, would you argue with that? 
Pretty simple, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty simple. Pretty straightforward. There we go. There we go. Pretty straightforward. It, it is, isn't it? I mean, this is, this is about Paul speaking to people, hey, you say and you do. You say and you do. You say and you don't. Right? But now here's the problem. The, the problem is, this is not a message that can be summarized with this phrase. Don't be hypocritical. It cannot be summarized that way. And I want to explain to you why as we go through the text. This is a message about hypocrisy, but it's not a message that says, don't be hypocritical. Because I want to suggest to you, that is impossible. I want to walk with you through this passage at a level that maybe you may never have thought of before or maybe gets underneath your heart and mind, maybe in a place where you haven't seen it before. Because the message about hypocrisy is one that we can all sign on to. Yes, oh, I hate hypocrites. I do too. I hate them, hate them, hate them. We all, we all hate hypocrites. Thankfully, none of us are hypocrites. We just hate other people who are hypocrites. And so what happens is we don't even hear, we cannot process. When we have a message about hypocrisy, it goes right over the surface of our heart and mind. And what I want to do is go underneath that surface. I don't want the trajectory to be one where we hit and skip and move on to the next thing. I want to dive down a little bit. So let's look at the passage again. Beginning at verse 17. If you're familiar with if-then statements, if you've done any kind of computer programming, or really any kind of, okay, even parenting, you understand that, that we're looking at cause-effect relationships. If this happens, then this happens. Okay, mom said all the time to kids, if you don't clean your room, then, boom, you fill it out. You can say whatever you want to say on that one, right? But now, and look at verse 17, 18, 19, all have the word if in them. Now, check it out. Now, you here's the conditions. If you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve what is superior because you're instructed by the law, if you're convinced that you're a God for the blind, a light for those in the dark, and he could, he could say here, if you are an instructor, he doesn't use the word if again, but an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. If all of that is true, if all of that is true, he says in verse 21, you, and then here's the then. You then, here's the effect of the cause. You then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? It's the question in which this whole passage swings. It's the point that it comes to and moves from. You who teach others, a summary, do you not teach yourself? And, and how many of us, honestly, if we're, if we're just honest, can, can not find ourselves in this passage? How many of us have ever thought, okay, let me look at the language here, that, that I, I'm not, I'm not going to brag about my relationship to God. I mean, that's verse 17. Maybe not me. Maybe other people do that. But verse 18, oh, I, know, I know his will on this issue of sexuality, and I approve of what is superior because I've been instructed by the law. Oh, I've been instructed by the law on what music to listen to, and I know the kind of things to watch and not watch. And I've been instructed by the law of what I believe is superior. I've just been... Other people clearly have not, and I don't want my kids hanging around with those who have not been instructed by what's superior. I know how to run a business and how to make business decisions that are superior to those who don't have not been instructed by the law of God. And so here, this is where we find a home. 
If you know his will and approve of what is superior because you've been instructed by law, if you're convinced you're a God for the blind, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, you have, and how many of us have ever felt this way? Because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and, what's that next word? Truth. You have the embodiment of, of the truth within you, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. How many of us have ever felt that way? Man, we're so blessed to have the word of God. I have the truth of God right here, and I'm in it, I know it, and it's so awesome that my life gets to be shaped by this. And man, the poor people, just, just the poor people who don't have that, the, the poor people who don't read it. I mean, you can tell because they're, they're, they do bad things. Man, I have the embodiment. And so he's saying, if, if you've ever felt that way, if you've ever, 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 ever felt that way, where, man, I'm so blessed to have what I have, I can kind of, and I may not call myself a teacher, I may not brag about my relationship with God, but, but if I've ever felt like, man, I'm so blessed to have what I have, if you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Well, I mean, I go to church and go to Sunday school and I hear a guy Teaching, speaking, preaching, does that count? Am I teaching myself? What is he saying? Those who teach others, do you not teach yourself? And then he goes on to say this. You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say, you know, others shouldn't commit adultery, do you do that? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? That's um, historical context there is when the Jews were going through kind of the conquest of the land. They would say, we abhor idols, and yet they would pillage the temples that they would destroy and take their idols and resell them or melt them down for precious metals for themselves. And this began to be the reputation of the Israelites, is that they're shrewd businessmen and women. So, oh, there's a valuable idol, not valuable to you anyway. We're going to take it, we're going to benefit from it. And so you, you abhor idols, right? But do you rob temples? Wait a minute, now, what is it? What's the truth here? Do you abhor idols or not? Because how is it that you are, oh, I get it. I get it. As, an, as a Gentile, I see you Jews. Yeah, you have your superior stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't watch the stuff I do. Yeah, that's fine. But you know what? You do the same things that I do. And yet, there you are on your moral high horse saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. You should be instructed by me. And I'm looking at you and saying, why in the world would I want what you're selling? And the net effect of that, and we see right here in verse 23, excuse me, 24, as it is written, God's name is what? Blasphemed among the Gentiles, and read the last three words with me, because of you. God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Because people look at you and say, why would I want that? I don't want what you're selling. Are you kidding me? Hey, you have your morality, you have your righteousness, you go live your boring little life, everything's tight and clean and all that, and you, everything's figured out, and you do your thing, that's fine, that's fine, go, go do your thing. But I'm going to be over here, I'm just going to be kind of living the way I want to, because your life is really no different qualitatively than mine. And the net effect is that God's name is blasphemed when hypocrisy is there. And it's not only when hypocrisy is there. But it's also when we don't know hypocrisy is there. Look at verse 25. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. 
But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. This circumcision deal, for those, just historical background quick, circumcision is kind of that um, symbol that says, um, if, if I'm not faithful to the commands of God, and if I'm, by being faithful to him, my seed, my offspring will also benefit from his faithfulness. But if I am not faithful, may I be cut off from his blessing. That's part of the, the symbolism of circumcision. And so circumcision is this Jewish thing that is a, a way kind of to symbolize the covenant relationship with God, that me and my seed and my family will be faithful, and if we're not, may our family be cut off from your blessing. And so he says, circumcision, check it out, has value if you observe the law. This is what I call hypothetical perfection. In other words, if you were actually to be able to obey the law, if you actually were able to be consistent with your standards, then circumcision has value. But, if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. Here's what that means. Last night, I forget the times, I don't even know the times, as I stop looking at my alarm clock when I wake up in the middle of the night, because I find when I do... I start thinking of how much more time I have to sleep, whether it's worth it, what I have to do. And then I, so I just pretend that I have plenty of time to sleep. I try to go back to bed. The last night, to welcome Mother's Day into our world, our kids um, had a, a, a vomit fest. Um, not all of them, just two of them. Um, now, the problem is, for those of you who know me, I sleep pretty well, and I don't want to sleep well on a night like last night because I want to take that off of my life. Well, as I told her this morning, I said, honey, this is weird. I don't remember when you left, but I always remember when you came back. It's true, actually. It it is not an excuse. So three times, three times, I remember she's she's back. She's she's back. She's back. She's she's back. She was out. That meant if she's back, that meant she was gone. (laughs) Wow. So after the third time, I'm like, I need to pay attention to this. I need to kind of get out of this really pseudo sleep him in and, and be aware of noise now. So I, it means I don't sleep as well, but that is, I want to help. But, um, and so, you know, fourth and fifth time I'm up as well. But here's the problem. About 15 years ago, um, I made a, a vow or covenant with my wife to say that I'm going to love you no matter what. Ephesians 5, 21 to 33 tells me what a husband and wife relationship looks like. The husband is to love his wife like Christ loved the church and like he loves his own body. And like he loves his own body, which loves sleep. Which means that last night, was I or was I not hypocritical? Absolutely. Because I entered into a public covenant to say, this is the standard that I'm going to keep. I'm going to love my wife above my own needs. And I'm going to love her like Christ loves the church. Can you imagine Christ saying to the church, hey, I know, I know you need me for prayer right now, but I'm just, I got a lot going on. I mean, I, I know you need me to help provide, but I'm just, just kind of overwhelmed right now. Can we come back Tuesday? Can you give me a couple of days? Can you imagine that? And yet, last night, 
somewhere along the line between number one and two and three, I made the choice, consciously or not, to say, okay, that's fine, she's up, that's fine, I'm going back to bed. And in that moment, I betrayed my own ideals, and I become a hypocrite last night somewhere in the middle of the night. And this is what Paul's saying. The, the reality is we are all hypocrites. And the problem is not, are you a hypocrite or not? The problem is, do you admit it? And do you recognize it? We all have BO. The question is, do you put deodorant on or not? Are you aware? And this is what Paul is going after, this awareness factor. The ugliness is not the hypocrisy so much as the ugliness is living your life as if you think you're not a hypocrite. You are. I love you, but you are. And this is why Paul places this hypothetically. He says circumcision has value if you could actually obey the law, if you had the capability of observing everything that God wanted you to do, everything, then circumcision would actually be a really good idea. Be your way of symbolizing, I'm faithful to God. My offspring will be faithful to God. We are going to be faithful to God. But, but, as soon as you break one piece of that law, circumcision has lost its value. To hold you. It cannot hold you into that covenant with God anymore. It can't. It doesn't have the strength. You don't have the strength. And then Paul says here, and this is where it kind of becomes ugly for the Jews. Verse 26. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. In, in other words, the people who you look around and say, man, they're watching that, they're smoking that, they're eating that, they're drinking that, they're wearing that, they're dating them, they're doing this with their job, they're not doing that, they're lazy, they're, they're too aggressive, they're impatient, they're proud. And we look around and say, yeah, yeah. Whoa, what if they were to obey the law and become to us an instructor or a teacher? And this is what Paul says to the Jews. Those who, who you look down upon in your self-righteousness become a teacher to you when they observe the law. Just because you have what you have doesn't mean anything. The obedience and observance is what he's saying. And then he says what we all know, right? Verse 28. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. This is stuff that we teach our kids, right? Some of you use Bible verses for that, some of you don't, but you still teach the same principle. In other words, God looks, a man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And you say this, if you're raising little girls, I mean, you need to keep saying this to your girls, telling them, reminding them of their significance and their beauty for who they are on the inside and, and defining what beauty, beauty looks like within your home, especially coming from dad to these little girls who are, who are growing up daily in front of you and, and to the little boys, you know, what does it mean to be growing up to become a young man and, and what that means. But within that context, we say, listen, it's more important who you are on the inside than, than the outside. And so we say this, right? We say this. So what Paul is saying, well, yeah, cool. 
That's good. Thank you, Paul. You kind of said what we, want, what we wanted to say. But Paul goes a little bit further, and he said, listen, here's what you think. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly. And Jew, by the way, comes from that word Judah, and it means to praise. And so the Jew is one who, when you think about that word, it means praise to Yahweh, praise to God. In other words, the Jew, when they were introducing themselves in the marketplace, so let's say we go back to the Welcome Center and you all are signing up to run the 5K after church anyway, right? And I come up to you and I said, hey, my name is Tim Rogers, Jew. I'm planning to run the 5K. What's your name? And you would say, you know, I'm, you know, Joe Smith, Gentile. As, as a proud Jew, I would include the word Jew on the back end of my introduction to you because that's part of my surname, that's part of my identity. And by saying it, I'm saying my life is a praise to God. It's a praise to God by my obedience to him. I'm Tim Rogers, Jew. Who are you? And, and Paul plays on this and he says in verse 29, the last sentence, such a man's what? Praise is not from men, but from God. And so he's saying, hey, listen, if you want your life to be a praise to God, if you want your life to, to uh, kind of exude this, this praise to Yahweh, then it, it behooves, if you will, it, it services us to, to pay attention to this. That who we are in the inside is more important than the outside. To which we're all like, yeah, that's cool. That's good. I mean, I teach that. Well, why not? Because I don't like how I look on the outside anyway, so I hope the inside's better. So let's teach that, right? But then he says circumcision of the heart is the issue, isn't it? And circumcision by the what? It's in the text. Or circumcision by the spirit. Not circumcision by the law. So let me ask you, is circumcision a painful thing or a painless thing? You don't have to answer that. It's no small coincidence that in the Old Testament book of Genesis, when one family wanted to overrun a city, they requested, and, and they requested that all the males in that city be circumcised so that they could show their commitment to becoming Jews so they could marry into their family. And then in their, the moment of weakness when the men were recovering, they came in and pillaged the, the town. Because it's a painful process. And this is what we forget, isn't it? Okay, it's about who we are on the inside, but Paul still says circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. And so let me ask you, do you think circumcision of the heart by the Spirit is painless? Because it's not. And here's the rub. Circumcision of the heart is not as simple as saying, hey, that's cool, I'm not going to focus so much on looking in the mirror and just try to be a nice person. Circumcision of the heart involves, by the Spirit, saying two things. Number one, I'm going to invite the Spirit. I'm going to invite God's Spirit to search me and know me like David does, Psalm 139. If you've never read Psalm 139, read that, especially verses 23 and 24, Psalm 139. Circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. The question is, how do I do that? When, when David comes and says, God, I want, I want my life to be open before you. I want my life to be laid out before you. Search me and know me. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so here's what we do. We say, all right, that sounds good. That sounds good. That's fine. But to be honest, that's relatively painless too, isn't it? 
Like, I can do that, and I don't know if I'll come up with anything. I might come up with maybe I can be nicer. I could try to wake up for my wife when my kids are throwing up. But I don't know if I'm really going to come up with a lot. So here's what I want to say, number two. This gets a little more painful. Because I believe that circumcision of the heart is not just about inviting God to, to search us while that's true. Circumcision of the heart in this issue of becoming aware of my hypocrisy and you becoming more aware of your hypocrisy comes down to level not just getting it right with God, but getting it right with one another. And here's where I'm going to invite you to something that is painful. And that is, not only as we think about circumcision by the heart, we think I'm going to, number one, invite God to search me. Number two, I'm going to invite people to know me. Doesn't that sound easy? I'm going to invite people to know me. Here's what I mean by that. I'm going to invite people who are able to be trusted into my life where I can have a context, I can have a relationship with somebody where I can confess sin. Where I freely, and if not freely, I work on creating relationships where I can confess to them my sin of hypocrisy. I mean, come on, guys, seriously. Do we really think that we are, we are not hypocritical? Okay, we all know this. I mean, good grief. Look at, the, look at the, uh, the fathers of our faith. Abraham told Pharaoh that his wife was his sister so he wouldn't die. That's not hypocritical, is it? Isaac, preferential treatment of one son over the other. That's not hypocritical either, is it? Jacob, deceiving his dad and deceiving and being labeled as a deceiver. He certainly wasn't hypocritical, was he? I mean, David, right? The man after God's own heart. Give me a break. David? Bathsheba? Really? Having her husband killed? Really? Hypocritical? Maybe? Paul, the guy who just wrote this letter and is saying, yeah, kind of don't be hypocritical. Later on in Romans 7, he says, and some of you know this, he says, I, oh, I, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do. And he's acknowledging the reality that, okay, we are all hypocritical. We all are. And the sooner I come to recognize that and be aware of that and ask for your help in working through that, the less offensive my God becomes to people who don't believe in my God. Because the issue is we all, want, we all want people who are genuine, right? This is the deal on hypocrisy. We all say, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be hypocritical on that. Why? Because we like people who are genuine, right? We, authenticity, good word. Openness, good word. Genuineness, good word. And here's what I want to say this morning about all of this, and it is simply this, that the, the most genuine thing you can do is admit you're a hypocrite. The most genuine thing that you can, I think, ever do is to admit I'm hypocritical. And then not stop there, but say, I'm going to do those two things. Number one, I'm going to invite God to search me. Number two, I'm going to invite people to know me. You know, we have this saying around Grace Point. It's a, a value statement. It says, we live fearlessly, forgive generously, and speak openly. Those words mean something. We go on to say, we, we reject the culture of sin management and embrace confession in relationship to one another. That we want to be a people who are saying, guys, we are sinners here. There is no one here who is morally superior to anyone else. There is no one here who can just keep the law so much better than anybody else. We all stink. Okay, we all do. I love you. I think you love me. We all, we all stink. I'm not down on us. We're terrible people. No, no, no. This is just reality, okay? And so the issue becomes, if I want to be the most genuine, then the more aware I am, 
of my failures, then the more gracious I become to everybody around me. The less judgmental I become, the more patient I become, the more with my children I'm able to breathe and remember their kids. I'm a parent. I have to act like one sometimes. With my employees, okay, this is why I'm the boss. With the employee to employer, okay, this is why God's my boss. The more patient, less judging I become, and the more appealing my God becomes, who is a God of grace and a God of forgiveness. So this morning, all I want to say to you from this passage is simply this. The most genuine thing you can do, the most genuine thing I can do, is recognize you're a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. That my failure does not disqualify me from God's blessing, but my lack of awareness of that will be a problem. Just a couple of years ago when I got a call from my dad and I was uh, heading to breakfast at Burden Hand Restaurant uh, to meet with somebody, and my dad um, said, Hey, I, Tim, uh, you know, I'm home alone. Mom and my mom and my sister were in Connecticut. And some of you know this story briefly. Um, and he said, I'm not feeling the best, but I called the doctor and told him what my symptoms were, and he said, okay, well, why don't you go ahead and just, just go to the hospital for now, because I, I can't see you now anyway, so just go on into the ER, and they can take care of you. So he called me, and I said, well, I'm on my way to breakfast, but I'll turn around if you want to go now. He's like, no, 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 that's fine. I'm, I'm okay, but whenever you're done, if you can swing by and take me, it'll be fine. Like, okay, let's do it. So I had breakfast, and I shortened it a little bit, and came down and picked him up and took him to the hospital. He seemed okay, and... We got there, and the nurses were kind of fairly casual. I mean, they were, they were professional with him, but there was no sense of urgency, really, in the, in, the, in the room. Until about two hours later, and he got the test results back from his blood work, and it showed that he had a massive heart attack. And he had what they called a widowmaker, which typically, you know, makes your wife or husband a widow. And they looked at him like, man, we need to do something now. And all of a sudden, boom, they, they moved into action. They whisked him out of there, and they started doing all kinds of stuff. And he had, I forget, 90% blockage and 60% block. I forget what it was. But one of the main arteries of the heart was almost, was almost clogged. And here's why I bring that story up now, and that is because of this. What you don't know can hurt you, right? What you don't know about can absolutely hurt you. What my dad did not know about, and I don't know how he would have, absolutely hurt him. And what we don't know about in our unreflective thinking, in our unreflective life, absolutely will hurt us. And not only hurt us, but it will hurt our God. If we're not willing to acknowledge, I need you And this is the hardest part of this, is to say, to look around to people right next to you, in your family, your spouse, and say, we need to develop a relationship where confession becomes normal. We need to develop a small group where confession can become normal. I need a place where I can confess the reality that I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner and I need God's grace. And I'm going to give that same grace to you. What we are not aware of absolutely will 
hurt us. And what we become aware of becomes an incredible testimony, not to our willpower and our strength, but to our God and his greatness and his power. The most genuine thing you can do is to recognize you're a hypocrite. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you this morning for your word and the truths located within it. We thank you that we do have access to the, the truth of your word, and we thank you for your graciousness in saving us despite our self-righteousness, despite our moralism, despite our piety, and despite our self-salvation measures that we take, trying to be righteous enough and good enough and faithful enough and all of that. And we just... Some of it is well-placed, but, Father, much of it is, is our attempt to show you that we're good enough to be saved. Much of it is our attempt to make something of our lives because we're truthfully just so insecure as men and women. We need to prove ourselves by performing. We need to prove ourselves by being social. We need to prove ourselves by being beautiful. We need to prove ourselves in some way. So, Father, I pray for us this morning to have the courage we need to create around us cultures, relationships where confession is normal, Because sin is normal in that sense in that it's a common experience and hypocrisy is a part of our world and the message of don't be hypocritical is a flawed message because it's not possible. But the message of becoming aware of our hypocrisy and pursuing humility and grace and forgiveness from you and from one another is possible. Father, we're amazed as we stop to reflect on your power and your strength. We're amazed that you're a God who is so strong to pull us and to save us and draw us to yourself. A God who is so mighty to save us from our weaknesses and our sinfulness and our failures and our brokenness. We're amazed by the power you have to save us despite ourselves. Father, I pray that you would renew in us again the depth to which you've gone, the reaches to which you've gone to pull us and save us and draw us to yourself, that we can extend that same kind of reach to others. Father, we thank you that you indeed are a God who is so mighty, so mighty to save. In Jesus' name.